Welcome to Conversations with Leaders. I am Miriam McLemore, an enterprise strategist with AWS. Joining me to talk about business agility, machine learning, and artificial intelligence is the Vice President of Amazon Machine Learning, Swami Siva Subramanian. Swami, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit of your background? Sure. First of all, really excited to be here talking to you, Miriam. Um, uh, just in the way of intro, so um, my name is Swami Sivasubramanian. Uh, I'm the Vice President uh, in charge of um, Machine Learning in AWS and Amazon. So my organization uh, works on all areas uh, around machine learning with the goal to make machine learning accessible in the hands of uh, everyday developer and data scientists. And as a personal uh, note, I've been with AWS and Amazon for 15 years since the early days of AWS. Uh, So really excited to be here. Absolutely. Leadership is such a challenge um, just normally and in the speed of change that is facing all industries, but in these times, even more so. Are there key themes that you're hearing from customers that you're speaking to that have emerged in the last six to eight months? Yeah, uh, actually, uh, one of the biggest things I would uh, probably tell is uh, that um, Given the unprecedented times we are living through, now more than ever, the uh, advancements in technology matter more. There is an increasing number of organizations who are uh, forced to actually move to digital uh, transformation much quicker. So gone are the days where uh, CIOs and CEOs used to think digital transformation is a long-term path and uh, I can actually take a multi-year strategy. When this uh, pandemic uh, started and a lot of actually work from home started and uh, various folks uh, needed access to information, suddenly digital transformation uh, stopped being a multi-year project. It needed to happen right now. And that is one of the scenarios why we started uh, seeing so many people started uh, moving to cloud faster and adopting AI and ML technologies on so much faster. And I would generally put these things in four buckets uh, if you uh, were to think about it. Number one is many organizations, uh, right after we all started working from home and actually governments were to... uh, uh, were asked to forced to interact with customers digitally and so forth. The number one challenge they hit is scaling customer communications. And then uh, the second one I would probably uh, think about as the second bucket is around increasing agility in the organization. Suddenly, the rate of change around the environment, irrespective of whether you're suddenly have to change your supply chain with the change in uh, supply and demand, or you have to think about uh, how to alter. Uh, you're changing your customer patterns or you have to process a new kind of workload where you can't wait for three weeks approval in processing alone and it needs to happen over the weekend and so forth. So you needed to change and increase your agility immensely. And then, of course, uh, this time we also needed to, uh, every organization wanted to figure out how to get employees to work safely and what does it mean, especially for folks who had to have a physical presence in the front line. And finally, also enable healthcare researchers and pharma companies on uh, doing things like how to accelerate treatment, how to do drug, uh, drug discovery faster, how to exchange information faster. So I generally see these uh, major four buckets where organizations are moving very, very fast. 
Let's dive into those a little bit, Swami. You talked about first scaling customer communications. Can you give us some examples of things that you've seen from customers you work with? Sure. Uh, as you're, uh, I mean, as we all actually started working from home and then uh, also as the pandemic started, one of the number one things uh, suddenly started happening is uh, people were very uh, eager to get more information from their public sector organizations. It can be like the local government uh, from the city or from the state or from the country as well. And uh, so there they needed uh, increasingly quick and reliable way for them to get the latest on saying like, where is the closest testing center or um, when are the testing centers ours are open and so forth. So this is where when you look at it, one example that comes to mind is uh, Gaucha. It's South Africa's uh, largest citizen engagement platform that is connecting over 50 million citizens uh, to more than 10,000 public representatives in the government. So this connection between the citizens and the government is such a critical thing. And uh, one of the challenges is how do you scale this kind of massive number of citizens on uh, communication to this small number of representatives and get them access to the current information. So this is where Gauchat actually leveraged uh, one of our artificial intelligence service called Amazon Lex, which enables developers to build a conversational chatbot interface uh, quickly and they can deploy it live on the web or inside their contact center. So Gauchat le uh, leveraged Amazon Lex to build a uh, chatbot that can help citizens find things like uh, what is the closest uh, COVID-19 testing facility. And also it kind of enables citizens to stay more informed as well. So um, this chatbot at its peak, uh, we're able to exchange something like 14.2 million messages uh, with no latency or backlog. So think about the scale of uh, what is the communication that uh, a government organization was able to achieve, again, using artificial intelligence primitives like Amazon Lex. Can you talk a little bit about the importance also of increasing agility and efficiency in these challenging times? Sure. Uh, if you look at uh, what many organizations uh, that are facing right now, we are uh, facing a lot of uh, new kind of constraints. The constraints can be in the form of, hey, the customer demand patterns are changing or the supply uh, chain is uh, changing. And uh, so forth, or there is a new kind of workload, or we need to increasingly process a particular new kind of application and or not. So this is where now uh, every organization is now looking to technologies and especially disruptive technologies like AI and ML to improve their efficiency, augment uh, human capabilities so that they can expedite many of these systems faster. So I'll give a few examples. Um, uh, to kind of showcase uh, what are some of the things uh, that we are seeing. The first one that comes to mind is a uh, highly innovative company called Cabbage. So they are an online uh, fintech company uh, that are in the process of actually uh, providing cash flow solutions for small businesses. And uh, Cabbage has been using machine learning to quickly deliver uh, things like financial relief packages for small businesses. And uh, they have been leveraging our uh, AI technology called Amazon Textract, which automatically takes care of uh, uh, things like uh, taking a PDF form as an input and being able to automatically extract uh, what is in the form and actually tell here is the first name, last name, and uh, 
here is their uh, SSNID and uh, here are the relevant fields without having to go through and build custom OCR technologies and a lot of human uh, processing. And one of the most challenging workloads that uh, they had was around the Paycheck Protection Program, where when the pandemic hit, uh, Cabbage was um, tapped in, where they enabled uh, more than uh, 500,000 small businesses uh, employees to access Paycheck uh, Protection Program funding in the U.S., where even their banks couldn't accommodate them. So uh, that is the incredible part. So by using Amazon TextRun, Cabbage took a week-long process of uh, taking these forms and instead of having to do them manually, now they shortened it to under 24 hours, making a dramatic impact on the speed of how quickly they were able to process these loans. So that's an example of how uh, in a really agile startup, we're able to actually use uh, machine learning technology to augment human capabilities to serve customers faster. And uh, moving from like fintech to agricultural technology. So one of the uh, interesting uh, things that we are starting to see um, in this world is that the supply chain uh, is uh, are, uh, changing with change in supply patterns and change in demand patterns. So I, I love your examples and what we can do with, with data today. Another area that you mentioned was getting people back to work safely, certainly, all companies are trying to figure out, you know, what does that look like? What are their mechanisms for keeping their team safe? And are there technologies, you know, that could help them? Are there some that that you can share that have worked well for customers? Uh, first one is uh, internally within Amazon uh, fulfillment centers and other areas. We built uh, something called Amazon's Distant Assist. So it is a computer vision-based technology where using uh, cameras, uh, they were able to kind of project an uh, image which kind of measures uh, if uh, social distancing is appropriately followed in any given uh, field of vision. So we have these in displays in uh, location, which uh, serves as a visual reminder for all of us to say, hey, am I actually maintaining enough distance from my next uh, colleague and uh, make sure that we all actually can uh, have a safe work environment uh, if we were uh, hard to assemble in the same place and whatnot. And uh, another example that is uh, outside Amazon uh, is uh, from Queensland, Australia. So there is an ISV partner of AWS called uh, BigMate. They are a computer vision analytics company who built a uh, thermal image uh, scanning uh, based on machine learning. Um, this application is called Thermi, which tackles these issues using thermal uh, imaging that can be deployed in any location. So you can deploy these uh, thermal image cameras with these computer vision analytics, and it can uh, scan 30 people a second at any given time and run like 8.3 scans per second. And the backend is uh, essentially in a computer vision model running on Amazon SageMaker. And uh, these uh, images are being sent to these models hosted in the cloud, and they are able to generate these analytics quickly in a timely fashion. So again, if you look at uh, the common theme here, great examples of innovation where uh, distance assist, which we actually even made it open source and available in GitHub, or actually Big Mate, which have made these uh, technologies available for others to leverage uh, as well. Uh, 
these are great examples of being able to use uh, machine learning to help uh, people get to work safely. It's interesting the level of innovation that a crisis can drive. So, Swami, we talked about kind of the areas that you're seeing lots of innovation for our customers. Are there things that they're doing differently, approaches that they're taking to machine learning and AI that that you didn't expect? Um, yeah, actually, so one of the biggest, uh, I would probably see it as uh, some of the changes in the approach uh, to machine learning and AI, uh, especially during these times. Uh, the number one uh, is that we are seeing a lot more focus on pragmatism over uh, like open experimentation and uh, just playing around with technologies. Uh, what I mean by that is that it doesn't mean that these companies are not implementing machine learning, uh, but rather that they are getting very specific about what problem that they are trying to solve for their customers. And they are really now starting to work backwards from the customer uh, experience and scenarios and uh, picking the right business case. Uh, in fact, various other talks, uh, I have always talked about finding the right uh, use case for machine learning is always the most important, um, especially in um, uh, kickstarting a culture for machine learning in an organization. But it's even more important now. So we have seen many of our customers use this moment as an opportunity to accelerate machine learning projects that will be very impactful uh, for like uh, machine learning safety or uh, digital transformation or improving the efficiency all the way from like uh, processing uh, text-based documents and improving their workflows and so forth. And they are deprioritizing some of the more experimental projects uh, and uh, whatnot. Then the other one I would probably uh, uh, see is that they are now actually getting really good at uh, implementing these projects also in uh, parts and phases. So uh, they are not trying to actually do like a two or three year uh, project. Instead, many of them are actually focusing on what can I get done in the next few weeks and uh, next few months uh, before you start expanding to many different. So this is where uh, the CIOs uh, don't talk about now multi-year investment technologies and roadmaps. Instead, they are really now uh, getting a lot more agile. I think that's great to hear that customers are taking a more pragmatic and iterative approach, certainly in, in the conversations I have with customers that that is something that we talk a lot about is just get started, find a, a real problem that adds value to your business and drive that home and then do another, right? Till you build the muscle and you learn as an organization how to leverage these technologies to your best advantage. So I think, you know, again, the crisis maybe has, has provided some level of focus uh, for organizations. Are there Things that our customers have that are misconceptions about machine learning? It's a great question, actually. So uh, I would probably put them in like a couple of decades. And uh, the number one uh, I would probably do is uh, I see many organizations and really well-intentioned uh, CIOs and CEOs, they typically... Uh, they are so excited about machine learning and they want to actually move forward. And then they end up hiring really good data scientists and put them in a central team and uh, say, let's go actually build out a few projects. In theory, this could work well, uh, but 
The problem is they end up uh, getting in a centralized team so disconnected from the business units and the customers that what they end up uh, doing is building a few proof of concepts or demos, but they never get integrated into the mainstream business. So this is where uh, I highly encourage uh, all executives to almost uh, hire these data scientists and embed them into the business unit so that they are closer to the customers. They understand uh, what problems need to be solved, what are the challenges faced by the engineers, and uh, how to move quickly. This also gets a shared buy-in within the business units where they actually see these uh, ML projects as part of their customer experience and their business altogether as well. And then the second one is uh, if you uh, machine learning does not happen without data. Data is the fuel for uh, machine learning. And uh, to get started on machine learning projects, the number one thing you need to do is get your data strategy straight. And this is where uh, I encourage almost every CIO to kind of uh, first uh, get your data strategy in terms of setting up data lakes, setting up your access and uh, control and governance and uh, uh, data preparation, ETL, annotation, all these things uh, set up well. And uh, in fact, uh, even uh, when I talk to various uh, ML scientists uh, in Amazon or uh, among uh, our customers, uh, I often hear that more than 50 to 70% of the time they spend on ML projects is spent on uh, various uh, kinds of data processing. So in fact, when we tend to hire these machine learning scientists to build these amazing algorithms, what they end up doing is spending a lot of time actually doing these uh, data pre-processing and data wrangling and annotation work. So this is where I think focusing on these data strategy as well is such an important thing to get it right. I completely agree. I I spent um, many years of my career uh, writing data standards, getting uh, data quality right so that we actually could do the analytics that we wanted to do. So Swami, are there differences that you're seeing in AI and ML adoption in countries around the world? Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, if you see, uh, for instance, first of all, if you wind back uh, the clock, uh, maybe like uh, four or five years ago or so forth, uh, machine learning was uh, probably extremely popular in a few years. Uh, geographies, uh, probably like US, China, and maybe a few pockets where there were major research uh, universities or institutions that were placed. Uh, in like Europe and some parts of Asia and whatnot. So, but now one of the common things I will tell you is that machine learning education is becoming almost like uh, a requirement among all CS students who are getting educated. If I go when I visited India or China or many other countries and uh, Asia, one of the common things I see is there is like a huge amount of thirst for actually learning machine learning as part of their engineering degree or uh, various other aspects. So it is becoming almost uh, like as synonymous to how people were actually learning computer science uh, ages ago. So, and so much innovation in uh, the machine learning ecosystem in uh, various aspects in the startup uh, community in uh, India, Korea, Japan, China, and whatnot, uh, just like in US as well. So. 
and uh, I'm starting to see a huge amount of uh, innovation happening uh, in the startup ecosystem powered by machine learning really around the world. I mean, um, the other thing I would probably see is uh, if you ask me like three, four years ago, probably I would put uh, close to 25% of organizations are uh, starting on their ML strategy and uh, getting their way in. Now, almost like nine out of 10 companies uh, are getting deep in uh, machine learning projects and innovation. So where uh, they are not discussing uh, what is this machine learning, uh, or what does it mean for my organization? The question, uh, question has almost moved on to saying like, how do I get started? What are the projects? Which problem to prioritize? Uh, what is the right level of abstraction? I should use some of your technologies and how to accelerate it. So, and this, I would say almost across all geographies, this is uh, really uh, proceeding in the, uh, in a rapid fashion. I touched on many in the US uh, that are innovating all the way from like Cabbage or Intuit, which is doing with uh, FinTech or uh, in the Europe, I touched on uh, many aspects all the way from like Formula One or the football uh, clubs where they are using actually machine learning technology to analyze football strategies uh, in the US with NFL or in the Europe with uh, soccer. And then in the healthcare, now uh, we have actually Cerner is uh, able to use machine learning technologies to even uh, uh, detect things like congestive heart failure 15 months ahead of um, a clinical diagnosis. Think about these kind of uh, powerful, I mean, capabilities now that is uh, being made available. I think it's kind of incredible. And on in Amazon, we tend to use the phrase, it's day one. Uh, in machine learning, it's truly day one where we just woke up and we haven't even had a cup of coffee yet. So it's super exciting. It absolutely is. And in the conversations that I'm having with customers, it's not just technology. As, as you rightly said, it's across industry, but it's across functions within a company as well. Supply chain leaders and human resource leaders and R&D leaders, right? So you've got all all functions um, across the C-suite and across industry interested in what problems they can solve, leveraging data. As you've built out this capability at Amazon and AWS, certainly you've had to experience failure to, to innovate at the, the speed that you have. Any kind of personal reflections on learning your way through this and and building out these capabilities? Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, internally, we always joke around saying like, uh, if you don't fail once in a while, let alone fail often, you're not innovating fast enough or innovating uh, and pushing the boundaries hard. So I think uh, to a large extent, uh, failure goes hand in hand with innovation. And uh, this is something where uh, we as uh, leaders, uh, in it can be in a startup or it can be in a uh, big organization, you want to actually, uh, if you're trying to drive innovation as a core uh, principle and a culture within your organization, I think you want to actually encourage your engineers and leaders to embrace failures along the way and provide them a safe environment for them to fail. So because we all actually take risks when we actually take these big uh, projects, uh, which have a lot of risk associated with them. But if they end up actually feeling like, hey, uh, my career is on the line if I 
end up failing in this project, then uh, you won't actually set up a culture of risk taking. Then I would also say to some extent, failure is also a function of uh, whether you stop trying after you hit a, a brick wall. Because uh, there is a culture where you want to be constantly learning and reflecting on what you are uh, finding out as you explore. And that's what innovation is all about. So, and that is same as true even in machine learning, where you're constantly experimenting with data and algorithms and seeing what works and uh, then constantly iterating based on what you see. And that is how you actually build a uh, culture in uh, machine learning and experimentation which is actually uh, true even in innovation where you see often that uh, startups and even in Amazon, uh, we actually almost every service team within AWS operates like a startup, uh, its own startup. If we actually, we constantly work directly with customers and see what works and what needs to be, what is not working so that we kind of actually constantly iterate on our approach based on customer feedback and pivot. And uh, this actually encourages us to constantly be innovating, pushing the boundary. And if we kind of uh, hit uh, any kind of wall, then we know what to do to pivot and actually continue the innovation cycle as well. Absolutely. And, you know, Swami, you've now been with Amazon for, I think you said, 15 years. And so at the beginning, you know, some people would think, well, you know, it was a startup and you could fail, but fail small. As the technology has changed and the spotlight's gotten brighter and, uh, you know, failing, and I, I see this in large enterprises, it it feels like, you know, you're going to fail big when you get into uh, these big companies. Have you been able to, to keep your edge and, as you said, keep it day one and still allow your team to fail small? It's a great uh, question. And this is something we constantly uh, think about as well. So, just to give even my own experience, uh, I think one thing that is kind of unique about Amazon, uh, even uh, 15 years ago, I joined Amazon as an intern. So, and uh, one of the uh, first things I remember in uh, one of the meetings early on was uh, we were reviewing some uh, database related issue that kind of caused disruption to Amazon.com retail customers. and. Uh, I remember asking my manager, who is Werner Vogels, who is uh, CTO of Amazon, uh, saying like, uh, why are we relying on this uh, old relational database technology? Why can't we build something to the scale that Amazon.com needs uh, that provides uh, better durability and accuracy and scalability that he needs? And, uh, and here is how we can do it. And uh, normally, most companies would actually say, now what, uh, you're an intern. You should go do what we, uh, the task we assigned to do. But Amazon is a little bit different. So we actually encourage builders to build and we innovate. So Werner said, it's a great idea. If you have uh, precise, concrete thoughts, write it down and uh, go collaborate with this team, which is thinking about this problem. And that's how Dynamo was born. So, and that's how now we made Dynamo as an externally available database uh, in the cloud called DynamoDB, which is now powering uh, majority of Amazon.com, let alone actually huge number of thousands or tens of thousands of uh, companies around the world as well. So, and uh, that is like one example of also how Amazon actually is, uh, again, uh, 
stay in day one, where if you unpack what happened here, uh, we actually are very, very customer obsessed and seeing how can we continue to improve customer experience. And we don't actually set up a culture of being top-down. We encourage builders. We want builders to build and we don't actually, we encourage uh, every builder to come up with innovative ideas. And even senior leaders, they are trained to say yes more than uh, no. And it's an important thing because uh, ideas always don't come from the top. In fact, innovation always is coming from people who are closer to the customer. And that is really the second element. If you ask me, one of the unique things I think about, uh, special about Amazon is our leadership principles, uh, which are 14 of them. As you can go check them out online. But uh, my favorite leadership principle is our customer obsession. Swami, what a great thought to, to end our conversation on customer obsession and putting the customer first. Thank you so much for your time and your insights. It was terrific to have a few moments with you. No, my pleasure. Again, really enjoyed uh, our conversation, Miriam.